are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. Good to see you all here today. Um, So as a multi-denominational church, uh, we follow the general Christian calendar, right? And as we know the last week, and as we've noted all around today up until now, that we are in the season of Advent. And Advent is a season in this particular year, we're embarking on this teaching series called the Prince of Peace, right? And yes, you guessed it, it is about Jesus. Spoiler alert, what else would we preach on, right? But coming off of Lions and Lambs, the previous teaching series that we're on, and building on the work of reconciliation and that deep work that God is doing and has been doing, it seemed, it seemed really fitting that we would just land right on Advent which is again that season of anticipation and waiting and longing. And a season where we can learn to surrender again and again to the work that God is doing in us and through us. And also it's a season that again, we join other churches all around the world to celebrate and to welcome the Prince of Peace, right? So the season of Advent is a season of preparation in preparation to the coming of the Messiah's Robbie just read, and we had a minute of silence just to kind of hold it. I think it's important to remember that there's this kind of like two advents that we always see in parallel in this time of history that we live in, right? There is, again, that waiting and anticipation of the coming of a Messiah that time, in the beginning of the century, waiting for Jesus. That was an advent, a long one, actually. But in the moment of history that we're in right now, we can see like the two sides, right? We have our advent of waiting and anticipation for the second coming of Jesus. But we also sit waiting, knowing what happened, meaning Jesus came, his life, death, and resurrection, what is done, what is accomplished, what is finished, so we can hold on to that, but look into the future and know what's going to happen. So that's that that tension of the advent. And, and to be honest, that tension is not really like a new thing for us. So it shouldn't be, right? As followers of Jesus, we should know all too well how to wait. But do we, though? Shouldn't be that unfamiliar with it. But I think that's the beauty of having a calendar, having a rhythm that we join with other followers of Jesus all throughout and as a family to be like, there's a moment where I'm resetting and I'm learning again how to wait. Remembering that there was that 
and there will be. Remember that we sit in this like in between shaloms, right? The peace that was at the very beginning, the peace that will be as we continue into eternity. We're not there yet. And we're not there yet. Oh, back. But that's in particularly what we look into the season of Advent. So it teaches how to wait well. Like how to trust in a God, how to trust in his work when my brother and my sister keep wronging me again and again. How can I live in the pain and discomfort of, of a terminal disease? How can I continue to work for justice and peace in all my activities when there's so much hurt and brokenness around me? How can I talk about peace when my LGBTQ brothers and sisters and my black brothers and sisters and my brown brothers and sisters and my Asian friends, they're all being shot left and right? How can I talk about peace when there's still two countries at war right now? How can I wait in a God to bring his perfect justice to bear? To set all things right? How do we wait? And in this waiting, I always, always find it very comforting to read through Revelation. And I feel like every time I preach, I bring up Revelation. I'm telling you, it's something weird. But it's true. It's honestly one of the most hopeful books in the Bible. And I cannot start this. We cannot jump into a season of waiting and understanding the hope that we have and the joy that is set before us if we don't know what's coming, if we don't remember what's next. So would you please join your voices and read with me what's in the screen. This is from Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said i am making all things new amen oh man this is good but until then, how do we wait? And the beauty of it is that we're not left hanging, right? We are given a prince of peace to wait with us. And for the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different characters in the Gospel of Luke. Anna, Simeon, and Mary. And we will learn to wait. How, how did they do it? How did they wait? And how did the very presence of Jesus made a whole lot of difference in their lives, in their waiting, right? So would you join me? I'll just pray real quick before we jump in. God, I just want to thank you for the ways that you have already been preparing our hearts to hear your word. The ways that you've been moving and nudging us and tugging in our hearts all throughout this week, all throughout this day even, this very moment, God. Father, I pray that we would not shy away from, from what you are trying to say, from what you are nudging us, from what you are, again, tugging in our hearts. Father, thank you that we can open your word and hear your voice. And thank you for you, God, revealed in your son, Jesus. Fully man, fully God, 
one that we can know and touch and see. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. And I pray that our hearts will be burning because you are speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I think you know this by now. I don't really do good with monologues. So we're going to have some crowd participation here. Will's already laughing. Oh, my God. <laughs> but please, seriously, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking here. I need, I need your help. This is, we're all learning together here. But this is, this is what we're going to go into today. So we're going to talk about Anna and do a little Bible study. Sturdy, sturdy Bible study. Do a little Bible study, dig in, and, and see how much we can grasp from the few things that are in this passage and with that, we're going to be looking into God, meaning what can we learn about God in these two verses that are presented to us today? And most importantly, then we kind of flip it and be like, okay, how then we respond? We're going to look at us. Like, how can we respond in light of what we just learned about God? Cool? All right. So our teaching text for today, Frederick, can you put it on the screen? So there was a prophet, Anna, daughter of Panuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them, them, by the way, is Simeon, Mary, and Joseph who were in the temple with baby Jesus. So coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, Jesus, to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So I'm going to leave this in the screen. So what, from those two verses, from what you read right now, just shout out to me. What can you learn about Anna? Okay. Yes. Wow, that's not one that is there, but I like it. That's good. What up? She's a widow. What? Discipline. Tell me more about that. <laughs> That's true. That's good. Anything else? Commitment. Okay. Any any more of the obvious ones, guys? Like what we what we just can. You guys are like beyond me. It's amazing. I, I love it. Good good job. Picked the wrong crowd today. <laughs> uh, just trying to keep to the basics here. You know? That's great. Just keep coming. What else? Any anything else? Okay. Daughter Penwell. She's a believer. Well. She's a prophet, okay. That's true, that's good. Wait, oh yeah, someone said that too. Stop saying she was old, guys. It's like, just, we get it. It didn't say she was very old. We, we get that part. <laughs> All right, can we, can we go to the next slide real quick? I think you guys got most of them and beyond. I should have a second slide with just your opinion. But this is good. That means you guys can read. This is great. Good job. <laughs> but but here's, the, here's the interesting thing. Anna has no directed recorded words in Scripture. Like, there's nothing that she said necessarily. Different from Simeon that we're going to learn next week and from Mary that has a whole Magnificat given up to her. But she has no recorded words. Yet there's so much that we can learn about her life and about what she did and how she lived, right, in just two verses. Um, 
And the interesting thing uh, is that if you read through Luke, and actually, honestly, this is something that Luke does a lot in his gospel, but it, there's a little bit of tricks of that all throughout the Bible. But there's something called ellipsis, just kind of like a literary trick, but just to like, listen, there's a lot of this thing that happens, and I'm going to stop repeating myself, but I'm just going to give you enough of a context of what's going to happen next. So meaning, right before this interaction, as we said here, and then... Again, at that very moment coming up to them, them who? Simeon, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. So right when that was happening, Anna came and approached him. So it's like Luke is writing this, and Simeon said something about Jesus. It was very powerful and prophetic. And then Anna comes and says something and has this interaction. It's almost like Luke's like, I'm not going to be repeating myself because the importance of this is now less about the words and more about who is interacting with. So it's like... Yes, we get it. We get the words that Simeon says. We get the words that Mary says. And we get all these prophecies and things that were talked about Jesus. We get it. So when it comes to Anna, it's almost like, not that she's in the bottom of the list, but it's just like, hey, listen, now pay attention to the people that are coming and saying this. Because she's in it. She, like Luke chose to wrote her into the story. Again, not much of what she said, but the importance that, the importance that she came around and said something and interacted with it and blessed Jesus and spoke about him and all that stuff. So it's less about what was said, which we'll dive into more next week with Simeon, but it's more about her. You tracking? So it's cool because it actually lets us spark our imaginations of, again, meditate and contemplate on what's happening. So let's look into what we know about Anna, of all the things that you just mentioned. All right, so our list. She's a prophet or a prophetess. And as you mentioned, that's no small title. That's not a small thing, right? Like, we don't, we don't get to know how she gets to be called that. But we do know is that it's obvious that she was very close to God. To be called such a thing, it's not, you just throw these names out there, like here and there. Um, she's also one of the very few women in the Bible who's called a prophet. And in the New Testament, she's actually only one of two. So that's huge. That's, like, very significant to point out. And I'm just going to start pointing out some facts and things so then we can, like, connect those dots and pile them together later. Is that okay? Just track them with me. All right, so she was a prophet. Next one, she was daughter of Penuel. I did not dig too deep to know who Penuel was. But anyways, <laughs> but the point is that names are very important in the Bible. So every time you come up with a name, come up on a name or something, you got to actually pay attention to what it means because there's a lot in the meaning of it. Penuel in Hebrew means face of God. And it's probable, yeah, this man was a godly man who raised a godly child, better be. But the most interesting thing, not to jump too much ahead, is that for most of Anna's life, she was waiting to see the promised Messiah for the redemption of Israel. And she bursts into praise when she sees the face of baby Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Again, just facts. Pay attention to the names because they're important. Next thing, she's from the tribe of Asher. Does anybody know what that means? Happy. Wow. That's good. Oh, you skipped ahead of me, but that's, that's true. It is. The tribe of Asher. But what is the tribes? Like, what is the tribes? Anybody knows? Why, what is a tribe? Like, why is it? Asher means happy. That's good. Say it again. Family bloodline, but from what? 
What is, what is this, what, what are these tribes? What is it referring to when it says tribe of Asher? 12, 12, hey, you don't count, no, I'm kidding, you do. Uh, 12 tribes of Israel, right? Okay, because Jacob, who then became Israel, this is all back into Genesis there, had 12 sons, and the tribe, when Israel was divided, grew into a nation, when Israel was divided, each son had a tribe which named after them. Asher was one of Israel's, Jacob's, same thing, interchangeable. It was one of his sons, um, hence one of the 12 tribes. But I love that someone men- mentioned the happy one because Asher, of all the tribes, when blessings were stowed upon the tribes, I mean, uh, Jacob blessed his sons, right, at some point. Moses then later blessed the tribes. Asher was kind of like known as the most blessed, honestly. Here, Jacob's blessing over Asher. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies for, the, for a king. And then later, when Moses blesses the tribes, he blesses Asher and says, most blessed of the sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him bathe his feet in oil. He, the bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze and your strength will be equal in your days. It's like, man, there's like a lot of signs of prosperity and in and, and reference to the fertile grounds and like this you like you, all the tribes you good you're taken care of but asher is like taken care of you know it's like there's something about that is very interesting to point out even the happy thing because why point out that anna is from this lineage of the tribe of asher this prosperity, this like, you are taken care of. And yeah, and the very next thing that we know about her is that she was very old. And not only that she was very old, but she was also a widow. Meaning she did not just, you know, lost her husband last year and then became a widow. She lost her husband a long time ago. She was married for like a very short period of time, most of her life, not like 90% of her life, she was a widow. And that is interesting to point out because Man, it was marriage meant stability. It meant a family name, again. And all those things, was, it just worked very differently at that time. Like, it's not that she now, as being a widow, that she could just kick it in like, okay, I'm going to move my life forward. I'm going to start a business and get a loan and, you know, make money moves. Like, no, that doesn't happen. It didn't happen that way. Society didn't function that way. And she was actually counted as one of the most vulnerable. Again, tribe of Asher, but now is like actually the most vulnerable. Again, on top of being very old. It's like, where's all that provision and blessing and favor that was bestowed upon your tribe? See, the interesting thing is that if you've taken the Justice 101 course, shameless plug here, by the way, uh, there's a refrain in the Bible over and over again when it comes to the most vulnerable. And that is, scholars call it the quartet of the vulnerable, which is the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the foreigner, or the immigrant in this sense. And over and over again, all throughout scriptures, you see this again and again. That is Israel's responsibility. Like God calling, like, please pay attention to them, take care of them. And then you see God's heart drawing closer to them, to these folks. And if I were to take a guess for someone who's never heard of God or just like 
don't care, or just never read the Bible, just like, I'm going to read the Bible just to see what this is about, I bet that they would get to the end and be like, man, this is honestly about a God who actually cares about the lost and the vulnerable. Because these things keep popping up over and over again. That's, that's what it's about. And friends, this is the turning point here. It really is. Because this is why Anna can be Anna. This is the heart of God. This is, like, if you don't get this, nothing else makes sense, I promise you. Because this is the heart of God, a heart of compassion, a heart of mercy. A God who saw the oppression and the suffering, not only of his people, but of all creation, and chose to act, right? And again, that's where things turn to Anna, because, again, she did not live most of her days in the comfort of, you know, a secure marriage and society and all, all those things. She lived most of her days as the most vulnerable. But she knows that God draws near to the most vulnerable. And she chose for the most of her life, in fact, for the rest of her life, to live in the place where she could find the most comfort, protection, care, acceptance, love, embrace, hope. Where was that? In the presence of God. And that's how we can see that as it flips, all these things about her, all these facts, and then it goes to that she never left the temple. She worshiped day and night and fasting and praying. Why? Why of all things would you choose to do that? Because she clearly knew who God was and what he was about. And, and then there was no one. And when there's no one to take care of her, there was no societal structure to take care of her because she apparently didn't have any kids or anything. She knew of one who would take care of her. And that was more than enough. That was perfect. She know that God would take care of her, and he will always. And then the question is, how did God care for her? Or for many of the least of these men. Does anybody know what was the first big task of the church in the book of Acts? Like the big task that they actually had to assign deacons to, like people who were, you know, built up to like, hey, please, this is a very important task. We need some very important people to it. Does anybody know what was that first task of the church in Acts? Yes, take care of the widows. Make sure that they got the food, make sure that the portions were right, make sure that they were taken care of. Anybody knows what James says about what kind of religion is acceptable to God? Hmm? Yes. And keep yourself from being polluted by the word. That's, that's the heart of God, guys. Isn't that something wonderful to remember or to know or just to remember that we know? That's enough. As a reminder, that's the God that I serve. That's the God that I know. So in light of all those things that we just honestly just scratched the surface here with, with Anna and like going a little deeper into this text. Two, two verses, guys. This is amazing. This is the, how, you know, you can go deep into scripture. But in light of all those things. This is where we want to just, just flip and be like, okay, God, where do you want us to go now? Because it would be easy to, to be here and look at very, various different ways that we can continue to learn and, and talk about it. We could talk about the redemption of Israel and what was expected, right? And clearly, 
it was expected by many. Um, and we know that it didn't actually happen the way they expected. And we can flip into now and be like, okay, God, there's so many things that we expect to happen in this way. And yet God chooses to play the long game. Yes, all those correlations. Or we could talk about what it meant for the church, again, to, at that day, well, actually the temple, to take care of Anna. And be like, how, how then are we taking care of the most vulnerable in our society, in our friend groups? Like, are we disadvantaging ourselves to take advantage of, no, to, sorry. Are we disadvantaging ourselves for the advantage of the most vulnerable? Um, there would be a lot to talk about there. But we could talk about how Anna bursts into praise, sharing with everyone about baby Jesus, right? And how clearly different it was at that moment because she saw the face of God and the promised Messiah, that will preach on worship. Be like, oh man, yes. Like how much more would you go on living and wanting to share the most beautiful thing you've ever experienced? That could preach. But honestly, guys, as we just scratched the surface of this, I was wrestling with God this week and just like, God, where, what do you want us to go here? Like, what do you want to say? And the one thing that kept coming back over and over again is the life well spent of Anna. Because she's the one who had all the reasons and more to be bitter, to complain, to resent, to resent God for maybe the death of her husband, to be angry, to be like known as an angry old lady. Yeah, the only two verses in the whole scripture recorded about this woman is the complete opposite of that. Because holiness is compelling. Something about the way she lived, the things she chose to do, that draws me in. There's this story uh, from Brian Sanders. He's a missionary, a pastor, writer, follower of Jesus. And I was watching this conference calling Call to Create, and he's talking about creativity and mission and all that, and it was very interesting. And he shared this story, which is publicly, so I'm sharing his story, which I think is fine. Uh, <laughs> because I was like, man, this is the point. This is a great story. So he was on a long flight uh, to Asia, like 14-hour flight. So he sits down, and you know when you sit down like in the middle seat, it's like, oh man, I got a middle seat. Anyway, so you see a bunch of people come in, it's like, is this person gonna sit next to me? Is this person gonna sit next to me? And then this tiny Filipino nun sits next to him. He's like, yes, that's great. Like, <laughs> and points like, he's like a, a tall guy. He's like, you know, Pepe, even my, I don't want anybody touching shoulders with me. But also he's like, she's a nun. So she's probably gonna fall on the argument of like, of the, you know, armrest debate. Like she's gonna probably let me use it more than, anyway. <laughs> His words, not mine. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so he's like, oh, great. This would be a great flight, 14 hours. So he sits on, gets ready to like take off, and he pulls on his like viewing device, right? Whatever he's watching, as many of us do. Uh, and he was watching the show called Killing Eve at the time, which is, I don't know what it's about, but I'm guessing from the, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, he said it's a show about like a serial, woman serial killer being chased by another woman serial killer. It's, yeah, anyway. So as he was like digging in, enjoying the show, it's like, it's impossible not to see or sneak peek of what the person next to you is like watching, right? So he's like starting to feel really self-conscious that this Filipino nun is just like kind of potentially peeking in and like watching 
sins of gratuitous violence. So like, oh my God, am I corrupting this nun right now? Uh, and, and he's like, to make matters worse, I, he's like, I could not also peek on what she was doing. And he's like, he only checked her phone twice, one before takeoff and after landing, because it was a flip phone and there was nothing else to do with it. But all she did throughout the whole flight was to pray her rosary and to read her prayer book. And he was like, and he shares this because his point was not out of the legalism of like, oh my God, I'm doing something wrong. Is this a sin? And I was like, no, his point was simply that he's like, here am I, a man who dedicated my whole life to God. Here's this woman who dedicated her whole life to God. And he poses the question, who of us were doing it better on that day? And it's like, it's not on the legalism. It's not on like, again, this is a sin or I'm doing something wrong. It's like, wouldn't you say that what she chose to do was just more beautiful than maybe what he chose to do? And I'm not judging one or the other, but it's just like there was something about the compellingness of just like, man, I can do so many things in my life. I can choose to spend however I want it. There's the beautiful freedom of it, yet I'm going to choose to spend before God. I'm going to choose to spend in fasting and praying. I'm going to spend at his house. I'm going to choose to spend in his presence. Isn't that more beautiful? Doesn't that draw you in? And when I read Anna's story, those two verses over and over again, I just couldn't help but think of that. It's like, man, isn't this beautiful? Like, this is, I want this. So to me, it was just a question, how was Anna's heart formed then? What, what drove her to that place? And what kept her in that place? How much joy and wholeness did, did that life bring to her? Despite of all the circumstances that we just went through, of the most vulnerable of the vulnerable, yet, man, there was a joy and a wholeness that I, I, just, I just can't help but like, this is... And when, when we look at her life, I think there are a few things that really formed her heart. As we read through that second verse, that is that she meditated day and night on the great promises of God. That's a choice. We have this. This is full of great promises of God from beginning to end. We just read one together, Revelation. Isn't that a beautiful promise to just rest on and know that that's where we're going, especially in the days of anxiety, in the days that I nothing's working, in the days that I see so much anger and so much brokenness in the world. Isn't that good to remember? She chose to meditate day and night on that. Her heart was also formed by the place that she chose to be, in the presence of God. And just a reminder for all of you in this room today, because again, we live in this time of history. For her, the presence of God was at the temple, a very physical confined space that she would go and I want to be there because God is there, I know. But y'all know what happened after the crucifixion. Y'all know what happened after the resurrection. There's no such thing as the presence of God confined to that space. So where is the presence of God, I ask you? Everywhere and in you. So where would you choose to be? Anywhere. Just be in the presence of God. 
In many ways, it's actually so much easier to words than to Anna. So her heart was formed by that. Her heart was also formed among the people of God, among community. She chose to be among those who were on the same journey. Would you choose the same? And her heart was also formed by living a life of worship and surrender. And that is literally picking up from where we left off last week from the lions and lambs, right? Choosing to surrender. So friends, I just wanted to end here because there's nothing else I feel like picking or plucking from the stacks that God has not already stirred in our hearts. So to me, the whole point is just to give space to him. As I ask you one simple question, it's how is your heart being shaped in the waiting? Would you stand, please? Just as Anna did, and all those that we're going to see in the weeks to come, kind of burst into praise because there's no better place to be and to worship God in that way. We're going to spend some time worshiping and, and praying. Um, and I'd love to just invite the prayer team to be around and ready to pray for folks. But we're just going to spend some time in worship, and then I'm going to come back and lead us into the table. But as you pray, as you ponder on the things that God has already tugged on your heart, I just ask you, I urge you, don't waste this time. There's no better thing that you can do right now than to just be in the presence of God. Don't waste it. Whatever it is that he's already nudging you, that he's already speaking to you, you know it. So just talk back, engage. And if you need someone else to pray with you, please find any of people with the prayer lanyards and prayer team around. Just don't waste this time. Let me just pray for us and we can worship. Father, thank you that you are a God who will not live us alone. You are a God that saw our suffering, our brokenness, our anxieties and frustrations, and and your one response was compassion, and your one response was love. And your one response was, I'm, I'm in. I'm, don't worry, I'm stepping in. I'll take it all, don't worry. So thank you, Jesus, that we, we can live now knowing that that happened and knowing what will happen. 
And we can live now in light of what you've done and continue to do, in light of the way that you're moving things, in light of the way that you restructure everything the way it should be. To wholeness, to shalom, to peace. So God, I just pray that the things that we learned today from your word, truths about you, about the way that you pursue us, about the way that you know us when we're at the lowest of the low, the ways that you stand to hand, the ways that you're always with us. God, would you so kindly show us whatever is in the way that does not allow us to reach your hand back and to say, help me, please. Father, thank you for the joy that is to do this in community. That we're not alone because you are with us, but also we are journeying together with you. Thank you that we can know more and more of you through every single story in this room, through every single life that's been lived with you. Father, just please don't hold back. I pray that we won't hold back because we want you, we need you. So move, Holy Spirit, as you please, as you wish, as we worship you, as we lift your name up high, as we seek you, Prince of Peace, the only one who can speak peace into anything into all things, into any life, circumstance, and situation. The one who calmed the waters. So speak your peace, Father. We are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.